and welcome to Tales of the Resistance, Volume 2, Persistence, a summer of original radio podcast political comedies by the confusingly named, always radical, and never ever silent San Francisco Mime Troop. Every week, we will be presenting one episode written, directed, and performed by Mime Troop veterans and dealing with the revolutionary issues of the day. And now, the San Francisco Mime Troop Broadcasting Network presents... What Were You Thinking? It's time for everybody's favorite game show. I'm Johnny Totson, and America, it's time once again to ask... What Were You Thinking? And now, the host of What Were You Thinking? The man who left a promising career in theater to become your host, Bud Chiller! Thanks, Johnny, and hello, everyone. That's right, I used to be a Shakespearean actor on the New York stage, but what was I thinking? Now I'm where the real money is, Hollywood. But enough about me, folks. In life, we are all forced to make decisions. And with 2020 hindsight, we all ask ourselves and each other... What were you thinking? That's right. So, Johnny, tell us how this works. Our audience will listen to each contestant's life choices and then vote on whether or not they approve. And if they do... They could win fabulous prizes! <laughs> All righty. Let's get started with our first contestant. She's a middle school teacher, a coach of the girls' soccer team, conductor of the bilingual a cappella choir, and part-time Uber driver from Springfield, Ohio. Let's give a big welcome to Madison Winters. Actually, Missouri, not Ohio. What's the difference? <laughs> Okay, Madison, ready to play? What were you thinking? Absolutely. Great. First, Madison, tell us about those life choices. Well, I guess the big one was not going into the family business. What business? Warehouses. Hmm. My great-grandfather started small with a couple of corn silos, but now with all the online shopping, warehousing is really big business. But what about you? Daddy wanted me to be the CFO of the family corporation because I have a good head for finances, but I said no. You turned down an executive position in a multi-million dollar enterprise to become a teacher. How sweet. But why? Well, I was inspired by my eighth grade teacher. Someone who sounded a little like this? I truly believe in my heart of hearts that to guide young minds to think, learn, and form their own opinions is the most valuable thing a teacher can do. Mrs. Adams? That's right. It's the woman who changed your life. Mrs. Lucinda Adams, let's bring her out here. Hello, Madison. Oh, Mrs. Adams, it's so good to see you. But enough about her. Your next big choice was how to pay for college without family support. So I guess you'll recognize this voice. This is the Federal Student Loan Office calling again for Madison Winters with yet another reminder that your loan repayment is past due. That's right. It's your loan officer, Mr. Novak. Come on out. Miss Winters? Mr. Novak. You still owe us $40,000, Miss Winters, and you haven't made a payment in... Whoa, 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 whoa. We'll get to that later. Right now, we have another voice from the not-too-distant past. Remember this one? How dare you give my exceptional son Avery an F! You call yourself a teacher! I bet you're one of those Teach for America losers! You should be fired! That's right! It's an irate parent! Aw, oh, jeez. Actually, we got quite a few of them backstage, all with exceptional children. The district 
keeps cutting budgets, class sizes keep getting bigger, our books are out of date, and I have to buy basic supplies with my own money. You still owe us $40,000. So, Madison, let's recap. You gave up a big money job to follow your dream of being a teacher. Ah, we are such stuff as dreams are made on. And now you are overworked, underpaid, unappreciated, disillusioned, and in debt. So, audience, let's ask Madison. What were you thinking? I just love teaching, and it's what I can do to make the world a better place. That's it? That's it. Okay, now it's time for... Judgment Call! Our audience, equipped with buzzers on their seats, will now vote on whether or not they approve of Madison's choices. And the result is 50-50 split! And because of that, Madison will get what the audience thinks she deserves. A mixed bag. Yes, Madison, you'll be able to continue teaching. Thank you. And your student loan will be paid in full. Wow. But only while teaching in an under-budgeted school in a marginalized neighborhood. Okay. And if you leave your assigned school, your repayment will be immediately halted, and you will again be held responsible for your debt with accumulated interest. $40,000. But, Mrs. Adams, what should I do? Are you sure you love teaching? More than anything. That's how they get you. They take the thing you love and make it almost impossible. 45 years I've been teaching my unit on Frederick Douglass, but now they accuse me of teaching critical race theory, like slavery and racism and oppression aren't a part of our history. They say they're going to take my tenure away and maybe my pension too, but I'm not giving up, and you shouldn't either. But my student loan... 40000 Would you shut up? Come on, honey. You and me, we'll figure out something. You are too good for those kids to lose. Well, thanks, and good luck, Madison. <laughs> Johnny, who's our next contestant? Enid Foster White hails from Tierra Plana, Arizona, and is a realtor and gun shop owner. She loves rallies, hunting, and picketing Planned Parenthood. Welcome, Enid. Delighted to be here and hoping to win, because me and the family suddenly have some legal fees to pay. Family? A husband, a son, and three beautiful grandchildren. Are they with you tonight? Well, no, bud. My son, Zeke, well, he's still in the VA hospital, wounded in Afghanistan. I'm sorry. But we thank him for his service, don't we, folks? And your husband? Oh, well, he came down with COVID after we got back from the big rally in D.C. You weren't wearing masks? No way, never. Even in the hospital, in his very last moments, Bob said, Enid, it's all a hoax. Wait, your husband died from COVID? Yes, he did. But you don't believe in COVID? No, sir, I do not. Okay, uh, mind if I get my own mask? If you hate freedom, go ahead. So, Enid, you were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Because, A, I care about my constitutional, especially Second Amendment rights, and, B, President Trump told us to because, three, yes, he's still our president, because, F, he says so. You destroyed government property and put countless lives at risk, and now you are being charged with unlawful and violent entry, disorderly conduct on capital grounds with the intent to impede the functions of the government. So the question is... What were you thinking? I was thinking it's time for real Americans to take our country back. We were here first. Who's watching out for us, for my grandchildren? Who's going to make America great again? All right, audience. Judgment call. Time's up. 
And the vote is in. So, what do we have, Johnny? Well, bud, like everything else these days, pretty evenly divided. 48% of our audience believe that Enid's thoughts justify her actions. Majority rules. That's not a majority. But 52% believe she committed treason. Another stolen election. So, Johnny, tell Enid what she won. Well, bud, because the vote was so close, after judicial review, Enid, you will get three years probation and be placed under house arrest in your house. You will be sporting bedazzled designer ankle jewelry that will give your forced imprisonment in place a distinct sense of luxury. You'll watch Fox and One American News only without sound. Villainized by some, exalted by others, you'll be buried under a pile of legal fees only to be paid by the forced sale of your business. But them's the legal fees I needed the money for. Y'all ain't gonna help. See? You don't care about folks like me. Fine! Y'all all be sorry! You ain't heard the last of me! Cause in three years, once I'm off probation, I'm gonna... I'm gonna... Ooh, I'm gonna... Run for Congress! If Marjorie Taylor Greene can win, anybody can! I'm gonna help her take America back from all of you! Terrific! Johnny, who's next? And for our final contestant today, let's give a round of applause and a big hello to Jamie Obrero! Welcome, Jamie. Actually, it's Jaime. What? My name, it's Jaime, not Jamie. Okay, Jamie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? Here. I was born here. My parents came from Mexico. They had that American dream. We all had dreams, Jamie. Jaime. For some of us, it's citizenship in a new country. For others, it's... One more season with Shakespeare in the park. A dream itself is but a shadow, true. I talk of dreams which are the children of an idle brain. Wait a minute, bud. You all know what that bell means. It means that Jimmy will be playing on the Wheel of Choices. Is that a good thing? It means you'll spin our giant wheel, and whichever of your choices it lands on, you'll tell us what you were thinking. And it landed on Farm Worker. Tell us about it, Jamie. Jaime, next to my dad all day in the hot sun. Bad wages, bad housing, bad chemicals, and no health care. I started organizing for changes, like Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. But the owner didn't like that. He threatened my parents. So I left, so there would be no more trouble. But after I was gone... He still called immigration and had them deported. Well, I guess that certainly gives me something to think about next time I'm squeezing a cantaloupe, right? <laughs> That's why I'm here. Maybe I can win enough money to hire them a good immigration lawyer. Okay, Jamie, it landed on restaurant. Jaime. I started as a dishwasher. Every week, La Migra would come and haul everybody off. I'm a citizen, but those ice guys would take me just for fun. Catch and release. Stock boy? <laughs> Fulfillment worker at Jamazon.com. They have these robots. I got fired by a robot. 
but there are other jobs. And, and, and I'll get one and do my best to keep my head down and my mouth shut so I can bring my parents back here. Which is ironic because they are here. They are? On the phone, all the way from San Luis Potosi, Mexico, Miguel and Hosanna Obrero. Papa? Jaime, es tan bueno escuchar tu voz. It's good to hear your voice, too. ¿Dónde está mamá? Estoy aquí, mijo. ¿Y cómo estás? I'm still trying to bring you home. Este es nuestro hogar ahora, mijo. ¿Qué? Queremos quedarnos aquí. Stay, but what about your American dream? Aquí lo encontramos, mijo, con nuestro nuevo negocio. What new business? Hacemos máscaras. Masks? Para el PPE. Para el COVID. Nuestro negocio va muy bien. Yeah, I bet business is booming. ¿Estás enojado con nosotros, Jaime? No, I'm not mad at you. Puedes visitarnos. Te amamos, hijo. Y estamos orgullosos de ti siempre. Oh, gracias, mamá. Yo también te amo. So, Jimmy, you worked all those jobs to raise money to bring your folks here while they were making a life there. So what we all want to know is... What? Were you I think I wasted my time in an unjust system that has no respect for the people who actually do the work that you all don't want to do. Well, audience, it's time for... Judgment Call! Jamie Obrero... It's Jaime! Got it? Jaime! And you know what? I don't need your judgment call. Because I'm not playing a game that makes people feel like winners by treating others like losers. That's not my American dream. Wait, where are you going? You can't just quit. Quitting? I'm just starting. I'm going back to the fields to fight for the workers, for their dreams. But and you and all of you out there should quit the game while you can. If you don't play, you can't lose. Si se puede. Quit? Quit? Johnny? Don't even think about it, bud. You have a contract. And as for Jamie... Jaime! He may be back in the fields fighting for the workers, but all of you will be back right here, won't you? You'll be here, same time, same station, every hour of every day, always asking the same question of every contestant, of each other, of yourselves. When it comes to choosing to be part of this system we call capitalism... What were you thinking? And now, it's time for... Eyeball on History! This is Chip Bannister, and welcome to another episode of Eyeball on History, the series where I, Chip Bannister, take you, our listeners, back to key moments in the past. And I, Chip Bannister, talk to history makers at the moment they are making history. Join me, Chip Bannister, as I open the Eyeball on History. The year, 1790. The place, London, England. And revolution is in the air. Because just across the channel, the most powerful monarchy in Europe has just been overthrown. For hundreds of years, the kings of France have dominated the continent. But suddenly, Louis XVI is imprisoned in his own palace. France is on its way to becoming a republic. And every crowned head in Europe is shaking in its crown. And they should be. But Mary... The whole idea of a single person, a single man, having power over entire nation, 
The power of life or death over millions of people is ridiculous in the modern world. And it is here in this modest house, in this modest corner of London, that William Godwin has invited a few friends for a modest dinner and among them two great revolutionary minds. You're here! Oh, we were wondering if you've gotten lost on these old winding London streets. What? It's not like the new broad boulevards you have in America. Oh, wait, you think I'm... I know you were born in England, but you, Thomas Paine, will forever be famous for being an American. Me? No, I'm I'm not. Well, I am an American, but I'm not. Let me introduce you to our other special guest for the evening. Brilliant woman I'm most eager for you to meet, Mary Wollstonecraft. Good evening, Mr. Paine. The great Mary Wollstonecraft. <laughs> Great Mary Wollstonecraft. I admit she has a lot to say, but I wouldn't call our Mary... I'm not your Mary. I didn't mean... That any woman is automatically the property of the nearest man. You two really shouldn't fight. We're not fighting, we're debating. Why is it when two men express differing opinions, it's a debate, but when a man and a woman have contradictory positions, it must be a fight? So, it's very nice to meet you, Mr. Payne. Would you like some mutton? But... I'm not who you think I am. Nonsense. You're Tom Paine, the author of Common Sense, the pamphlet that sparked the American Revolution. It wasn't a revolution. Mary. It was a war of independence. Oh, they did establish a new government. No king, no aristocracy overthrown, and only those with land and money are allowed to vote. The poor are still powerless, the slaves are still slaves, and as for the women... Listen, could I just tell you... Oh, I suppose you're going to take his side. No, I was just going to say that... Oh, that Mary is right. Did you not have a revolution unless a tyrant is taught no, like in no, France. No, I was going to say, oh no, it's the king's men. The who? Ever since France rebelled, it's been almost treason to say anything positive about revolution. We shouldn't be ashamed of talking about the great changes happening in the world, about liberty, about justice. Perhaps you should open it. And perhaps, if we are quiet, perhaps they'll go away. Quiet in the face of tyranny? Well, someone should open it. No! You know, I can get that for you. No, no. I will answer it, Mr. Payne. Yes? I believe I'm expected. Your name? I'm Thomas Payne. No, you're not. I'm pretty sure I am. Well, if you're Thomas Payne, then who is... I've been trying to tell you. I'm Chip Bannister. Chip? What kind of a name is Chip? May I come in? Oh, of course, of course! We were just talking, Mr. Payne, about the difference between a war of independence like you've had in America and a real revolution like they've just had in France. And you are? Her name is Mary Wollstonecraft. Your name is Thomas Payne. We're in London. It's 1790, and this is Eyeball on History. Mr. Payne, have you read the recent article from Mr. Burke concerning the revolution? For our listeners, that's Edmund Burke, renowned liberal and English statesman. He says that it's not up to the people to change their government, no matter how awful, how oppressive it might have become, and that the overriding goal of any society should be the upholding of its traditions. May I come the rest of the way in? All progress, all advancement, the entire age of reason swept away in the name of tradition. The what? 
the age of reason. Voltaire, John Locke, Diderot, David Hume, Rousseau, although I can understand sweeping away Rousseau. Why Rousseau? Would anyone like some mutton? While I agree with natural democracy, his ideas on women as nothing more than helpers of men, as if we didn't have minds and aspirations of our own. We also have some lovely puddings. Forgive me, who are you again? Her name is... I can introduce myself, thank you very much. Sorry. My name is Wollstonecraft. Mary Wollstonecraft. Well, uh, Miss Wollstonecraft, I must say, I couldn't agree with you more. Radical change requires rethinking of more than just whether or not we have kings or queens. Thank you, Mr. Payne. Do you know why I've come to Europe? Because I am considered too radical for the new United States. Too radical for revolutionary America? It wasn't a revolution. Mary. Well, it wasn't. Now, she may be right, Mr. Godwin. Um, we may not bow to a king anymore, but we have our own aristocracy. The rich, the well-off, even members of the Continental Congress who grew fat selling food, guns, and uniforms while we fought for our independence. But when I pointed out how some of my fellow revolutionaries profited, were self-dealing during the war, I was beaten in the street. You? But, but, but you inspired them, gave them courage. These are the times that try men's souls. Independence from England was one thing, Mr. Godwin. Independence from wealth is another. And when I fought for the second after helping write the Great Declaration for the first... Wait! What? What? You helped write the Declaration of Independence? Of course. I was the pamphleteer. I was the one who knew how to turn a phrase. Ben Franklin even credited me on the first draft. But in the musical 1776... The what? Never mind. I just thought Thomas Jefferson wrote it all by himself. Aristocrats always taking credit. So, you became unpopular because you exposed their corruption? That, and for telling Washington and Jefferson that slavery was an abomination, that slaves should be emancipated, and that you cannot honestly fight for freedom while owning humans. Well, at least Alexander Hamilton was on your side with that one. What do you mean? Well, you know, he's... Alexander Hamilton! So? He was... Well, sorry, is very against slavery. Alexander was sponsored by slave owners when he was young. Overlooks the fact that his hero, George Washington, owns slaves, married into a slave-owning family, and he himself buys and sells slaves for his father-in-law. Wow. Lin-Manuel really got that one wrong. I guess you can't rely on musical theater to teach you history. The Jacobins in France want to end slavery. I know. Here in England, we have blustery traditionalists like Burke, who are silent when it comes to actual human bondage, but who get all weepy at the mere thought of anyone so much as looking insultingly at the Queen of France. For our listeners, that would be Queen Marie Antoinette, who, when told the poor were starving because they did not even have bread, famously said, let them eat cake. Mr. Burke is supposed to be a liberal above reproach, but I say he has revealed himself as a hypocrite, a sentimentalist, and an antique fop doodle. A what? A reactionary bobbeline. Oh, language, Mary, language! And Marie Antoinette is nothing more than a scobolottering, roider-banking loiter sack. I have no idea what any of those mean. Trust me, none of them are good. An aristocracy by birth is as antiquated as the divine right of kings. Our upper class don't even serve a purpose anymore, which is why Burke and his like have to hearken back to a time of unquestioned nobility. 
But this is now, today, 1790, and it's past time underprivileged children should compete on equal terms with those wrongly privileged. I couldn't agree with you more. The French are creating a new system of representative government, getting rid of royalty, of aristocracy completely. And I'm sure future generations will be grateful for what France is doing. That all depends on who writes the history of the revolution. The revolutionaries or... I hope to God it isn't the English. According to Mr. Burke, what rights we have are bestowed upon us from on high, from our rulers, from tradition. He argues that revolution invalidates those rights. But in fact, revolution is a a vindication of the rights of men. Sounds like one of your pamphlets. I have a good mind to write a riposte to Mr. Burke's absurd notions regarding revolutionary change. Oh, you're a writer. Her essay, Thoughts on the Education of Daughters, made quite a little stir. Why should any woman's fertile mind be left fallow while so much energy is put into cultivating the barren brain of the most useless of men. Now very horticultural. Please, Mr. Godwin. Women may not have the physical strength of men, but that does not mean we, with equal education, cannot be their equals intellectually. I should say not. Perhaps after I've finished with Mr. Burke, I shall start... Another pamphlet? Not a pamphlet. Perhaps... A book. A vindication of the rights of women. I look forward to reading it. And I look forward to reading your future work, Mr. Payne. Something you said earlier did give me an idea. What? The Age of Reason. And on that note, we leave 1790 London and the fight for revolutionary change. Everything isn't a fight. I didn't mean that you two were fighting. I meant you were fighting together against the man. Which man? You know, the man. There is no the man. There are just men. And while they can sometimes be completely wand-doughty... Wand-doughty? Don't ask. Many, like my old friend Mr. Godwin and my new friend Mr. Payne, are endeavouring to advance liberty and equality. Well, it may take a while, but I'm sure eventually your ideas will change the world. I would hope someday to see my daughters in a world where character is all that matters and true justice triumphs. Oh, What is it? Your daughters? Yes. I already have one, and I pray someday to have another. A second daughter. Are you all right, Mr. Bannister? I... I just... I just have something in my eye. Your eyes are watering. No, they're not. Mr. Bannister? I'm not crying! You're crying! Mr. Bannister! I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That's all from London, 1790, the night the amazing Mary Wollstonecraft met the great Thomas Paine just before she began work on her masterful defense of revolutionary France, the vindication of the rights of men, two years before she wrote the vindication of the rights of woman, and seven years before she died, giving birth to her second daughter, also named Mary, who also grew up to be a writer. You'd know the daughter as Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, the author of Frankenstein. Excuse me. This is Chip Bannister, and this is Ben. Eyeball! History! And the daughter was left all alone. Oh, yeah. Next time on Tales of the Resistance.
Our stories of the Black Fox and Jailbreak collide as Senka and Chungjin uncover a chilling truth about Awakoapab, and Angelica and Edo reveal a secret that might destroy Brad Astaroth and the network. It's Collision at the Intersectionality. What Were You Thinking? was written by Ellen Callis. Director and script consultant was Michael Jean Sullivan, and our cast included Jerry and Monroe, Amos Glick, Marissa Ellison, Felina Brown, Hugo E. Garbajal, Michael Jean Sullivan, and Lisa Jorge Garcia. Eyeball on History was written and directed by Michael Jean Sullivan and features Lizzie Caligero, Michael Carrera, Michael Jean Sullivan, and Amos Glick as Chip Bannister. Music for this episode was written by Daniel Savio with Jewel McMillan on bass, David Rokish and Chris Loff on drums and percussion, Aya Rokish on oboe, Patrick Byers and Dylan Jennings on woodwinds, Daniel Savio on keyboards. Tales of the Resistance theme music was written by Daniel Savio and produced by Dred Scott. The Mime Troop theme song was written and produced by Jeremy Mage and Daniel Savio and performed by the San Francisco Mime Troop. Audio engineering and sound design for Tales of the Resistance is by Taylor Gonzalez and stage management is by Karen Runk. Francisco Mime Troupe is a worker-run, multi-ethnic, multi-generational collective of activist artists committed to overthrowing capitalism one musical comedy at a time. And one of these days, we will get it right. Each summer, we tour our shows at a price every member of the working class can afford. Free! With so many insurrectionist, reactionary shenanigans going on, the Mime Troupe needs to make sure our message of art, activism, and social justice is part of the resistance. And even though the pandemic is fading, the Mime Troupe still wants to keep our audiences as safe as possible. So we decided nothing says revolutionary fervor and safety like radio plays. And for those wondering how a radical theater can survive these capitalist times, it's because of you. The troupe doesn't take corporate sponsorship. You'll never see the AT&T or Comcast mime troupe. How could we show the hypocrisies of capitalism if we were in bed with a capitalist? So instead, we are in bed with you, our fellow workers. Let's snuggle. And after that, you can support the troupe by visiting our website, sfmt.org. Thank you to the San Francisco Arts Commission, SF Grants for the Arts Hotel Tax Fund, California Arts Council, USPPP, the Flyshacker Foundation, the Bernard Osher Foundation, the Zellerbach Family Foundation, Kali Austin, the Don Stevens and Nicole Bellotti Laugh and Love Fund, this public radio station, and listeners like you. for listening and remember in one week it'll be time once again for tales of the 